0: Hi guys, it's Lauren Schmidt, Director of Ministry at Christ-Centered Church, and you are listening to Christ-Centered Cast. Let's dedicate this time of preaching to the Lord as we look at His Word. Father God, thank you so much again for this opportunity to dive into your Word, to hear what's been prepared, to have your Holy Spirit work in our lives, and to grow us into the likeness of your Son, Jesus Christ. Pray now that you would remove any distractions that would keep us from hearing from your voice today. And it's in your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Luke chapter 14 is what we're going to be starting today. Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. Now, last week we had a little bit of an open question and answer time and a question and response. And initially, when I asked the questions, I saw lots of wide eyes and oh nos. But this week, there's some more questions. However, these are questions that I just want you to sit with and think about. Questions that I want you to ponder and come up with what you think the answers are in your own heart and mind. As you're turning to Luke chapter 14. The first question about discipleship, kind of like a game show. First question about discipleship tonight in your own heart and mind is this... Is discipleship something that happens once or Is it a process? Is discipleship something that happens once or is it a process? The next question... Is discipleship something that happens incidentally or Intentionally? Is discipleship something that happens incidentally or Intentionally? Third, is discipleship something that is free flowing or is it organized? Is discipleship something that's free flowing, it just happens as it happens, or is it organized? And then last question Is discipleship something that God does supernaturally? Or is it just done practically by church ministry and ministry leaders? Is discipleship something that God does supernaturally? Or is it just done practically by church ministry and ministry leaders? Do you have all those answers in your mind? Well, I hesitate to use the phrase trick question. However, the answer to all of those questions is yes. It's yes. It's all of those things. Discipleship happens instantaneously, or it begins to happen as we come to know Christ. It's a process. It happens as we go through life, as well as it's something that we should be intentional about as we grow in the Lord and we help others grow in the Lord. It's free-flowing or organic from the standpoint of it happens as we live life and through the circumstances and situations of life. But there are also organized elements, that intentionality of learning from those situations and growing in an intentional way in the Lord. It occurs from the Lord supernaturally as we grow in Him, but as we'll see tonight as we look at His Word, it's also something that ministry and really specifically church ministry leaders are involved in helping to facilitate. So, yes, the answer to all of those questions is simply... Yes. And last week, as we looked at the first part of this short series, we saw what discipleship looked like, or what discipleship is, from 2 Timothy, from the epistle Epistle to Timothy, as well as some potential outcomes for putting it into practice. We saw that as we saw that it's caught, taught, and brought. But we know that putting something into practice requires more than simply what it is, It also necessitates how we get to that implementation step. We must learn how discipleship occurs, and that's what we're going to look at this week as we look at Scripture. We're going to answer the question, how should biblical discipleship occur, or what takes place as we move into this idea of biblical discipleship? As we look at God's Word, we're going to begin in Luke chapter 14, and we're going to see The first way that biblical discipleship occurs, the first thing that has to happen as biblical discipleship occurs, and that is biblical discipleship occurs when we have counted the cost. Biblical discipleship occurs when we have counted the cost, when we have carefully considered what following Jesus Christ and being a Christ follower costs us when we do it. I alluded to this several weeks ago when I talked about in a, a salvation that we come to easily and how we make a mistake as believers when we tell people even though salvation is free, it's not easy. It's free and yet it does still have a cost in that the cost is following Christ and what, and that, what that entails in our lives. We see biblical discipleship occurs when we've counted the cost. Jesus himself said this And we're going to be here first in Luke before we return to 2 Timothy and then look at another epistle in the end. But in Luke chapter 14, beginning in verse 25, we're going to see Jesus Christ talks about counting the cost. Beginning in verse 25, we read, Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, I think some interesting things about this particular situation as Jesus goes into this teaching about the cost of discipleship, some of the important things to know first is that he's followed by a great crowd, right? It says a great crowd accompanied him. So what we have here is this picture of Jesus teaching and preaching and people coming to him, and he's drawn a crowd because he was more or less an event in many cases in the Gospels. People went out in mass in groups to see this man who ultimately claimed to uh, be the voice of God and to speak for the father and what we have here and at the very least even if they didn't believe any of that they believed he was a great teacher and had some important life wisdom to share so they're, they're crowding around him and he's essentially thinning the herd here by saying look folks following me means more than just walking around with me while I teach some stuff. Following me comes with a great cost. It costs you something. Again, salvation is free, yet it still costs. It costs us our life. And what Jesus says here are some important things that we must realize when we think about discipleship and and what it means to be a disciple and what discipleship costs. It's more than just learning some biblical wisdom and then trying to just live that out. You're essentially giving Christ your life as he has given his for you. And you're following him. Because we we defined discipleship last week at the beginning. We see first that Jesus tells the people who are following him, the discipleship occurs when we carefully choose Christ over all others. Discipleship occurs when we carefully choose Christ over all others. We count the cost by recognizing that Jesus Christ, it means more to us and that we love him more than we love everyone else in our lives. Including, he uses the picture here, our families. He uses the very specific terminology, he doesn't mince any words. <clears throat> Excuse me. He says, he actually says, hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters. Now, when he uses that here, that's intense language, and it doesn't mean that we're literally called to hate our family members. What he's saying here is that we're called to love him more than they. And how many times does that happen when you're truly seeking to follow Christ that you will find that you have family members and friends and people in your life that are important to you, who Jesus isn't important to. And they may be even offended or upset or hurt or angry that you would place Jesus above them and other people in your life. In fact, unironically, They may actually say that they believe that you hate them because you are neglecting them for Jesus Christ, for God, for even your church family and your relationships. But Jesus Christ himself says discipleship means counting him worth more than your family and your friends and those closest to you. It's choosing Christ over others. It's choosing Christ over everyone. That's discipleship. And that's a cost that must be paid if we're to call ourselves a disciple of his. He must be the most important person in our lives. He says discipleship occurs when we carefully choose Christ. When he talks about counting the cost to carefully choose, carefully choosing to think about, to take care in the choice. So what does that mean? It's not an instantaneous thing where we just go, oh yeah, okay. And we don't think about it anymore. Because it's easy to say, isn't it? It's easy to say that we love Jesus more than others. But when those tr- circumstances and situations arise where we actually have to make a difficult call, when we have somebody that we really care about looking us dead in the eyes, and we have to say, you know what? This is important to me. My, I, I believe this is a part of my relationship with the Lord, and I really need to prioritize Him in this area. So I need to do this, even though it's going to disappoint you or hurt your feelings or even make you upset with me. Because I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ, and he is the most important person in my life. And that's what Jesus says discipleship is. If he doesn't hate father, mother, wife, children, brothers, and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Discipleship occurs when we carefully choose Christ over others. He doesn't stop there, however, though. He says discipleship is more than that. It's it's more even than just placing him over everyone else in your life. Discipleship also occurs when we carefully choose Christ over self, choose Christ over ourselves. And I can just imagine this crowd that's gathered around Christ when he turns on his heel to tell them, okay, folks, you might think you're following me and you might literally physically be following me, but if you're going to truly follow me as a disciple, you have to hate, well not, well he says hate, you have to hate or you have to love me more than all of those in your life who are most important to you, and I, I can just hear people grumbling in the wow. crowd, going, oh, my family's going to put so much heat on me if I start prioritizing the things that I do for the Lord, and the time that I spend with Him, and I spend with others who love Him, and Oh, I, I can't do it. I just can't do it. I got to go. And then just turning and walking away from the crowd as Christ is still speaking because as he continues on and he's thinning the crowd, and again, if we don't know that that's what's happening. That's just what I visualize. If you know people and you can just imagine, we see the discipleship occurs when we carefully choose. We count the cost of following Christ. We carefully choose Christ over self. Verse 27, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Again, whoever does not bear his own cross to come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, you've probably heard the phrase before, that's just my cross to bear, when somebody's talking about having to do something difficult or challenging in their life, right? Maybe you've even said it. Well, that's just my cross to bear. And we might think that that's what Jesus is talking about here, just doing something difficult. However, I want to challenge your thinking tonight as we consider what Jesus is really saying as we look at the text here in verse 27. He says, This, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. In Jesus' mind, as well as those who would have been listening, the idea or concept of bearing one's cross or carrying one's cross was reserved for those who were going to be executed in the public square, or in his case, on a hill. And the criminal, the accused, those who were destined to die, would carry their own cross to the place of their execution where they would be placed upon it. Which is, in fact, what happened with him. Though he actually ended up having help because he was so weak from being beaten that someone assisted in that. But when Jesus says, if you're going to be my disciple, you have to carry your own cross, what he's talking about here is you have to take your own life and you have to literally say, I am dead to myself, and I am dead to the things that I might want or desire, all of those things that might put myself ahead of Jesus Christ. I am going to die to myself and to those things, and the things that are going to matter most in my life are what he wants for me and my life in him. So when we hear this phrase, when we talk about carrying or bearing a cross, Jesus is saying you have to die to yourself. You have to bear your own life and you have to execute yourself for my sake in order to be my disciple. Again, he's not mincing words here. He's not watering it down. He's not making being a Christian something that's just easy. Something you sign sign on the dotted line and just do. He's saying, you place me ahead of your loved ones, your family members, your friends, those closest to you. You take all of those things that you might selfishly want for yourself that are for yourself and you sacrifice them on the cross, and you carry that, you bear that, you die to yourself. And Paul elaborates more on that death to self later on in the epistles, but that's what he's talking about too, when he talks about putting the self to death. But Jesus is saying it here. So next time you hear somebody say, oh, that's just my cross to bear, and you're go, go, uh uh-uh, that's not what Jesus meant. And that should remind us, oh, yeah, he's asking for me to give my life to follow him. Because that's what he's saying here. He says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me, follow me on that path to death, cannot be my disciple. You might have things that you want or desire or dream You might have goals, you might have all kinds of things that you want for yourself. It could be money, it could be power, it could be influence, it could be opportunity. It could even be something like you want the perfect family, or the perfect career, or the perfect whatever. And Jesus says, are you willing to crucify all of those things to follow me? Even if it means never having those. Will you do it? Will you be my disciple? Discipleship occurs when you carefully choose Christ over others, it occurs when we choose Christ over ourself. And then we see the discipleship occurs when we carefully choose Christ over things, or really everything in our life. So we're going to skip over these next verses very briefly and hop on down to the last one, but have no fear, we will be back. Skipping on down to verse 33. He says this, So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce Give up, disavow, all that he has cannot be my disciple. Does everything in your life that you think belongs to you belong to Christ? Is there anything that you have or any area of your life that you're holding on to for yourself? That you're saying, Jesus, you can have all the rest of it, but I'm going to keep this little part whether it's, maybe it could be a possession, maybe it could be something about your life that you believe is yours and you personally possess. Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, that's mine. It has to be. You have to give that to me. You have to turn that over. You have to renounce. Give up. All that he has. And we see this in the first time that Jesus has said this to someone. We do have places also recorded in the Gospels where people with lots and lots of money come to Jesus and they want to try to figure out how they can buy their way into Christianity. And they're like, well, you know, maybe if I just do these good things or whatever, if I don't ever sin, which of course we know, and probably Jesus in his mind was like, ah, this guy doesn't get it. But but sometimes we don't get it either, do we? But he comes to Jesus and he says, well, if I don't sin, then am I okay? Then will will I be saved, born again? Will I know what it means to be part of the kingdom. And Jesus says, well, technically, yes, but also go and sell everything that you have. And that was the breaking point for that individual with all of that money. He said, oh, we find that he just, he turns and he leaves and he walks away. He doesn't follow Christ anymore. Because for him, the point was when Jesus said, give me everything that you have. Give all of that up for me and then you can be my disciple and follow me. And he couldn't do it. Because for some of us, that is the sticking point, right? Some of us say, yeah, I can love Jesus more than I love my family and friends and those closest to me. Some might even say, yeah, I could give up my goals and dreams and all of those things and hopes and wants and wishes and all that. I could give those to Christ and give those to him. And if that's not what he wants for me, fine, I'll, I'll do whatever he wants for me. But then for some, the sticking point is the things that they accumulate and collect or the possessions that they have. And they say, oh, I just can't give all that up. I just I can't I can't trust, and that's what it comes down to. It comes down to trust in that situation. Do you trust God to take care of you? Because if you don't, then you'll hold on to everything that you have, and you'll try to get what you can in order to relieve that anxiety that you have about trying to take care of yourself. But if you can renounce all of that and say, Christ, I trust you to take care of me. I trust that my relationship with you is enough, and that you, in fact, will provide everything that I need. Then, then Christ says, you can be my disciple. Discipleship occurs when we carefully choose Christ over things, the things in our lives. Now, remember that section I said that we would, we we're going to skip over, jump over briefly and then come right back to? I, I, I've studied this passage before. I've even preached this passage before various times over the years, but I don't think it really, it, it just the one, one of the wonderful things about studying God's word is that you can read things dozens and dozens of times, and each time you'll find something else in it. You'll discover some uh, principle or truth that God has there, or or even at very least some application of a way that can apply. So I was thinking about this, when Jesus Christ has this crowd of people, and he says, okay, folks, the masses, you're following me now? You think just following me is what you need to do to be able to call yourself one of my disciples? However, discipleship, being a disciple, is... Choosing me over all of these people, all of these things, and even over your own agenda in your own life, and he says you need to consider it, you need to think about that. And we see why one of the ways, or one of the reasons, rather, that it's so important. And I know as we look at this through this lens, you're going to think of maybe other people in your life. You might even think of yourself at one point in your life or another. Look at what he says here. So after the second thing. He says this whoever does not bear down his own or does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And he says to them this, looking at verse 29 more closely, or 28 rather, looking 28 more closely. He begins to give them some illustrations to illuminate the truth. And really, this applies to all three things. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish all who see it begin to mock him saying this man began to build and was not able to finish. And he says, or what King going out to encounter another King in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him at 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. What Jesus Christ is talking about here is this. Becoming a disciple is a huge decision. And ultimately, how others see you accept that responsibility or take that on in your life has an impact on how he and you are ultimately viewed. Because what is the emphasis here? He talks about this. Somebody who is building a tower, as a building project. Somebody who is going to war against an enemy king. Both, in both cases, the outcome of the situation we see is, the emphasis here is on who would observe it. So this person makes a decision to build a tower. He doesn't carefully consider the choice that he's making, and he fails in the project and essentially becomes a joke to those who are watching. There is a, a man who is a king who is going to war against another king, and he recognizes that it's important to have a plan and to make an intentional decision about whether or not he's going to go to war, because the choice that he makes directly impacts those around who see him engaging in this. When we think in terms of becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ, it's such a huge decision because how many of you, or maybe even you can think of a time in your own life where you thought you were making the decision to be a disciple, or maybe you even were, you're well-intentioned, But some things happened in your life, or you decided to drop your cross and walk your own way, or your family became more important than your relationship with Christ, or you had things that you just were holding on to that you couldn't give up, and then someone else in your life who did not know Christ saw you and said, that can't be real. Look, they just gave up. Things got hard, and that was that. I knew that whole Jesus thing was a joke. That's why discipleship is such a big deal. That's why that choice to follow Christ is so huge. Because it's not just Jesus that's watching us. It's everyone. So that's why he wants to emphasize to this crowd of people who are following him and who are watching him, that you have to count the cost. It's a big deal following me. And it means putting me over the Your family, your friends, your loved ones, your own agenda, and everything that you have in your life if you're going to be a disciple. Because biblical discipleship occurs only when we first counted the cost. Carefully considered and chosen to follow Jesus Christ. You can try to start all the pre-made programs in the world because there's a lot of great discipleship material out there. You can start reading the books, you can start meeting with somebody, you can start doing all of those different practices and things. But if you haven't first counted the cost of what it means to truly grow in Christ and be a disciple and follower of his, other people are going to see you bomb out, and it's going to hurt the testimony of Jesus Christ. Count the cost. We see there's a second thing, though, from God's word that has to occur before we can really dive into this whole thing of discipleship. First, we have to count the cost and we make a choice. Well, then what do we do now? We were, we believe, we truly believe we're going to follow Christ, we're going to give all that stuff up you know, as best as we can through the strength of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to constantly repent and return to God when we make mistakes, which we will, because that's what people do. We struggle with sin, we move through it, we grow, and as we are sanctified then, where do we go from there when we've made that choice to count the cost? Well. We don't know what we don't know until we do know it, and then we do it. I know, don't try to write that down. But basically, what I'm saying is this. As you're beginning, you don't know what it means or how to physically start down that practical path of becoming a disciple, and you need someone who can give you some assistance with that. Well, what we see here from the text is we're going to move actually back into 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you were there last week, well, you were there last week if you were here or online. 2 Timothy chapter 3, we were there for... The second part, the caught part, so we saw that it was taught, it was caught, and it was brought. So in the caught part, we were in 2 Timothy chapter 3. So in 2 Timothy chapter 3, we find the biblical discipleship occurs not only when we've counted the cost, but also when we have engaged in equipping. When we've engaged in equipping. When we've begun to be equipped by people in our lives. Not only people, but also this, this thing first. So we are this idea first. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. The beginning of our equipping starts here. This is the foundation for all of your equipping and discipleship. This is what will lead to, ultimately, the growth in your life. As other people, you work with other people, you learn from other people, you learn from God, you work with God in growing, and God does the growing in you. 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16 and 17 says this. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So we see that the Word of God does all those awesome things as it relates to discipleship in our lives and in the lives of others. So that, 17, here's the result, here's why. So that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We see that when we talk about engaging and equipping, the first thing we need to realize is that if we're going to talk about discipleship, discipleship occurs when we're being equipped by the Word of God. When we're being equipped by the Word of God. So we've counted the costs. We've said, okay, Jesus, this is what I'm going to do. I've given my life to following you. Now, what do I do next? You get equipped by the Word of God. You spend your time in God's Word because it does all of these things in your life. It's profitable. There is gain in teaching and reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. And when we talk about that, we're talking Bible intake through reading or like what you all are doing right now with preaching. It could be listening to scripture online. It could be a good Bible study. There are lots of different methods and modes by which we can get God's word into our hearts and minds and lives. And then it can grow and change us through the Holy Spirit and help us to grow in him. And, and he can then use that in our lives. Because then the word of God can work through us in the lives of others. So not only are we being being discipled by the Holy Spirit. And through teaching and preaching and reading and listening and all of those things. God can then use us in the lives of others to share his word. There may be a time when you know someone in your life who is struggling in a certain area. And as they're struggling and you're praying for them. And you, are, you have a relationship with them. And God's word through the Holy Spirit, through your study, may bring that word, that scripture, to your mind. And you can actually say, hey, you know what? This is what I was reading. This is what the Holy Spirit shared with me. This is some scripture that God used in my life to help me get through something like this. Or this may be helpful to you. I don't know. But this is what I believe God wants me to share with you. And you can share that scripture with them as a source of encouragement. Or less happily, maybe even a source of conviction, because we need that too, right? We see that God's word does that too, doesn't it? The reproof and the correction, the conviction, all of those things happen. And God does that through his word, through our lives in the lives of others. And that is a key aspect of discipleship, believe it or not, because remember the questions at the beginning? Is it incidental or intentional? Yes. Is it God working supernaturally in us? Or is it people who are ministry in ministry or leaders or whatever in our lives? Yes. It's, and remember, we talked about last week, this bears repeating, you have a ministry from God, and that makes you a leader in that ministry, even if it's not an upfront one. It's God using you in your daily life in the lives of others that makes you a ministry leader of sorts. So you do have a responsibility to minister to others. So we see he's being equipped by God's word. And the goal here that we see here in verse 17 from the word is this, that the man or woman of God may be complete. That word complete actually means mature, spiritual maturity. That's the goal. That's what we're striving for with our discipleship. As we follow Christ and we're discipled by him and by others, and he uses us to be involved in the discipling process in the lives of others, the goal ultimately is spiritual maturity and the likeness of Christ. And we're going to see more about that in just a minute. And then we see equipped for every good work. Equipped for every good work. So if you look at this and you think back to last week when we talked about how it was taught and then it was caught, remember Paul told Timothy, you've looked at my life, you've seen my testimony, you've seen how I struggled, you saw how I worked through those relationship issues and how I dealt with tragedy and all of those things. Do the same. And he's talking to him about how he needs to catch that and then essentially live that out as a response. And then we skip down to these verses. These were the other the verses at the end of that passage last week. And he's talking about in the context of his relationship between Paul and Timothy. He says, learn from me Learn about God, learn through those experiences, catch all of this. However, remember that the Word of God is the foundation for all of it. Because this is verse 16 and 17 of that passage that we ended with at 15 last week. So we see that it's engaging and equipping by the Word of God. But it's not only the Word of God. God uses other people in our lives, specifically the people in our local church and in our body the people that we go to church with and that we minister with and live with in the community. We see this if you flip on over to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, we're engaging in equipping. Engaging in equipping. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11. We've counted the cost. We're getting equipped. We're getting ready to go do this disciple thing. Ephesians chapter 4, 11 through 16. Paul writes, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. See that common theme there? Equip for every good work. The Equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. And again, here's the goal. Spiritual maturity, but also for building up the body of Christ. Verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, To mature manhood, or womanhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So there's that maturity in Jesus Christ, that fullness of Christ, that stature of Christ. That's the goal that we're striving toward. And then another result of this is verse 14. So that, so when we're mature in Christ, and we're growing into that, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, but by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So we're not, essentially not outsmarted by the world. That's what he's talking about here. Because the knowledge of God, we see in other places in First Corinthians and things, exceeds the wisdom of man. First 15, rather speaking the truth in love, here's this idea or concept of growth again, Verse 15, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So Paul, because he's a wordy dude, And he likes to write these long sentences with little punctuation. The long and short is saying that we grow in our faith and discipleship, both ourselves and with one another corporately as the body of Christ, so that we grow into the stature and fullness and maturity and likeness of Christ. But how do we get there? Well, we see in verses 11 and 12 that it starts with being equipped by spiritual leaders. Not just those with the title, though, he does cite them by title here. But I believe that that extends beyond the specific titles, because if you're a mature believer, you can learn a lot from truly mature believers, more so even than some pastors and teachers. And that's sad, and it shouldn't be that way, ideally. However, that's the way it is. So what we see here, though, is that there are mature believers or spiritual leaders in our lives who can help equip us for discipleship, who can help us gain access to the knowledge and the resources and the tools and the encouragement and even, like we talked about, the conviction and those kinds of things, because you haven't lived until you've had a mature believer speak into your life and make you, through the Holy Spirit, realize an area that you need to grow in or change. Uh, It doesn't feel great, but man, if you make those corrections, it's wonderful. Let me tell you, it just is. There's benefit and there's value there. But spiritual leaders, God uses to help us learn how to grow in Him and also to replicate leaders. Like we talked about last week, we teach to be able to, we teach others to be able to teach others. It's that same idea right here again. Spiritual leaders equip the body of Christ to build it up so that we can grow in spiritual maturity. And again, we see that the goal in verse 13 and 14 is that maturity in Jesus Christ. But it's not just an individual maturity. And this is what I love about this passage. Because so often we think about discipleship in terms of like a one-on-one deal. In fact, there's a fantastic discipleship material that I love that's called One by One. And it really is designed for one-on-one meetings with another believer to work through spiritual doctrine and, and growth and practical stuff in life. But we see that we can't get locked into this idea that discipleship is only a one-on-one thing because, believe it or not, there is such a thing as good peer pressure. There is God-honoring peer pressure. And that's the sanctification of the body of believers who God uses to help us grow in community. And we see that here. Discipleship occurs not only one-on-one individually, but also corporately in verses 15 and 16. Because he just got done talking about how spiritual maturity will keep us from getting tricked and tripped up by the world, right? He said, I don't want you getting knocked around and tossed around by all that you know, sinful foolishness. That's not what God's word says. You're spiritually mature, so you're going, ah, that's not the truth. And he says, rather, instead of that, what I want you to do is this. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we, corporately, are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part... Each part. So that's each little disciple working together with other disciples to help one another grow. When each part is working properly, growing properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's powerful stuff. And I don't know about you, but realizing that discipleship isn't just a one-on-one thing, for me, takes a little bit of the uh, unholy pressure off, because I think sometimes we can put unspiritual pressure on ourselves that God didn't put there, because it's about, we think we make it about performance and not about personal relationship, but when we realize that discipleship is also a corporate thing, a body thing, we realize that other people that God puts in our lives, particularly in our church family, can help us get to that place of maturity where he wants us to be. So we're not doing it alone. We're never alone. And if we're all striving to be disciples, if we've counted the cost, if we're getting equipped, then we know that we can look at our brothers and sisters in Christ and we have somebody that we can count on who's going to help us grow and who's going to be there for us and pray us through stuff and that we're going to do the same for when the time comes. Discipleship isn't just a one-on-one thing. It's a corporate body thing we see here, which to me is awesome. Awesome. It's awesome. It's a Christianity is a team sport. I loved solo sports in high school. Those were my favorite. But Christianity's different. We can't do it alone. There's no commandos in Christianity. We're platoons. We're units. We're armies. And that's why that imagery is used in the scripture to describe how we grow. Biblical discipleship occurs when we've counted the cost carefully considered and chosen. And it occurs when we've engaged in equipping, when we've been intentional and deliberate in allowing God to work through others in our lives and work through his word so that we can grow corporately together as mature believers in the body of Christ. So as we consider those two things, are you ready to begin your discipleship journey? If you haven't already. If you haven't already done so, Consider the cost associated with being a disciple. Embrace the sacrifices required that Jesus Christ asks of us. And be willing to pay the price that is required to follow Jesus. Secondly, make it a priority to get equipped for ministry. Now remember, we all do ministry. So, no one... We're all special, and none of us are special all at the same time. It's a wonderful thing about our identity in Christ as the body. So we're all called to minister. Get equipped for it. Because we all have ministry from God that we saw last week. It's time to get that on-the-job training that we need to succeed. I'm asking you, please reach out to myself or Lauren, who's Connections Coordinator in what we do here ministry-wise. And, she'll, and she and I will get you connected to the resources and the things that you need to be able to grow and to be prepared to serve God and to serve others for him. Father God, thank you so much for your word tonight. Thank you for the challenge that these passages were to myself and to, according to your will, those that are here. And God, I pray that our goal would be to grow as a body of believers one another, together. I pray that we would count the cost and that we would make getting equipped a goal so that as we go out into the world, we can be used by you to lead others to you and then beyond that, help others grow in you. God, we love you and we thank you as we get ready to remember you at your table. And it's in your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week.